honor and privilege to welcome our founding pastor. Uh, I think he looks younger and younger. Come up here, Uncle Roland, and uh, come and please model for us. You know, when I grow older, I want to be just like that, you know. You know, one beautiful wife, lovely uh, daughters and grandchildren and son-in-laws. But this is an example of what a faithfulness can produce. So without much ado, please let's welcome again our founding pastor, Pastor Roland. Thank you. Thank you, Roger. Um, I remember uh, Roger when he first came that uh, we um, contrived to put him and Denise together. At Arthur's seat, we put them, jammed them in one seat. And by the time they came down the seat, it was all done. <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, this morning, I'm privileged to be able to share God's word with you uh, again. And um, I, I, I just want to do a plug for uh, homeschooling because my wife tells me so. And... Uh, Yes, uh, homeschooling is, is pretty unique and quite daunting and frightening. And most people shy away from it. But, uh, and, and I was so, you know, in the beginning. And uh, I, I was very uh, reluctant to, to get into that because uh, we were, I think, almost the first homeschoolers in Malaysia. Uh, and, and so it was jumping into the deep and dark. But... Uh, um, but when I went to England on a, for a conference, and on the way coming back, uh, we went to visit a friend of ours, and their neighbor came in to visit uh, with them, and they were telling us about homeschooling, and it was like a prophetic word to us to do that. And uh, I took it as a prophetic word, and so we did jump into the dark. And many, many years later, we look back and it's really worthwhile. And uh, it's, it's really borne tremendous fruit in uh, our daughter's lives. And uh, being pastor's kids, it's not easy. And I think they, they could have uh, strayed away and lost their faith or whatever uh, because of what, uh, you know, the expectations placed on them. And, and, uh, but... Um, through homeschooling, I've been able to, as a father, been able to spend more time with them and been, been able to groom them and connect with them. And so today, uh, I must, uh, I'm, I'm glad to say that uh, through the grace of God, um, I, both my wife and I have a very healthy and good relationship with our children. And uh, that's what Today's message, in, in a sense, it rolls into today's message because today's message is about um, being intimate relationally. And let me just say a quick prayer before uh, I begin. Heavenly Father, I come to acknowledge you today that without you, I can do nothing. And I invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and anoint these words. May I be a life-giving spirit this morning that uh, whatever I say will edify, will build, will strengthen, will empower the people today to live out lives that are uh, meaningful and will be healthy lives that will in turn be able to impact other lives, to bring them into your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Cover this place with your blood 
And uh, may your presence be so real in our midst. And may your words bear forth much fruit today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, let me just begin. Oh, sorry. Not, not that slide. Let me go back again. All right. Sorry. Um, let me go back to this one. Um, Roger showed this slide last week. And our um, sort of motto or theme is household of faith. And, um, and so faith, the acronym, is broken down into these five areas. Faithful to the mission, active and personally involved, intimate relationally, teachable in discipleship, holy and set apart. But today I'm going to focus on the middle one, intimate relationally, and I'm, I'm so glad to be chosen to speak on this topic because I can speak on this for days. <laughs> really, really. Because I've learned so much over my 40 years of ministry about relationships and about how, you know, over the years of counselling countless people and seeing marriages break up and families broken and healed like uh, <laughs> the Ye family here. I like your surname, yeah, you know. Uh, they, they, you know, Joseph and Alice came broken and were on the verge of divorce. But we are so glad that this household of faith have been able to help them uh, journey through. And today, they are so loving to the point that they have produced five children. You know. <laughs> and more to come. <laughs> 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 but uh, this is the heart of our church. In fact, this is the heart of all churches, of His church, of His bride, because out of being able to relate intimately, the other things sprout out. Because if we are faithful and are really active serving and have great teaching, all knowledge and everything, and even holy and, and prophetic and set apart, but if we don't love one another, if we cannot relate to one another, what's the point? Everything falls apart without, being, without the relationship. Without love, Jesus says we, we are useless, you know? Everything is based on the love of God. God so loved you, so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son. It is out of that love. And um, so today, I just want to share with you on, on the importance um, of, of this whole aspect of relating intimately, all right? And um, so many years ago, uh, Evelyn and I, uh, when Chara went to a camp we, without children, you know, we, we had the time we went together to Port Arthur, to Tasmania, and had a holiday there. And we visited Port Arthur, had a tour of Port Arthur, and we were told by the tour guide and by the, the signs on, on the various things, the story of Port Arthur. And I thought I just wanted to share a point here with you that's relevant to this topic that I'm speaking. That uh, in the late 80s, 18-something, you know, 1870s or 80s, uh, the prison people um, 
who were in charge of Port Arthur uh, thought they have come to a new revelation or idea of reforming these prisoners who came from England. And, um, and many of them were uh, brought to Port Arthur for very minor crimes like stealing a loaf of bread and things like that. But uh, that was the time when um, Sigmund Freud and all these psychoanalysis theories were coming out and they were experimenting with one of the theories that if they isolated the people and made them focus on their sins and their crimes uh, and force them not to talk to each other so they couldn't talk at all, couldn't make a noise, otherwise they'll be beaten for the whole week, not to uh, each other. So they put them in separate uh, uh, prisons, cells as it were, and it was solitary confinement for the whole week, for days on ends. Uh, and the only time they could utter any word was when they were singing hymns in chapel. Can you imagine that? You know, day in, day out, they were not allowed to speak to one another, only focus on their sins, on their crimes. And as a result of that, one you know, this is just an example. One convict, Leonard Han, was sent to the separate prison when he was 18. And his mental state severely deteriorated and died a short time later. Even died. So there is significant evidence. This is by Dr. Hani Dower, who is an expert in, in uh, uh, psychologist. And... And she found that there's significant evidence that suggests that there is a connection between solitary confinement and decreased mental health. So what happened was at Port Arthur, they built all these cells and put them into solitary confinement, not allowed to talk. And within a short time, they've had to build a huge mental hospital next to the prison cells. And, um, and I think that's part, and the Lord showed me, showed us, that that is the reason why there is an atmosphere of depression over Australia. That introduced the spirit of depression over this land. More and more people are killing themselves because of depression. And, and there's this spirit that we have to fight and overcome. Otherwise, we can fall easily into it. Even myself, there was a season when I was kind of burnt out and fell into uh, a mild depression and uh, wanted to give up everything. And, and I had to overcome that. And, and the Lord, through the grace of God, I am where I am today. So basically, we look at that and we see uh, from Scripture that we are created for intimacy. In Acts 2.42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. These are four key areas that Christians need to focus on. First, the Word of God, the doctrine of God. It's important for you to go to Bible study for Bible studies and to read God's Word and memorize God's Word. That's very key. The second area is fellowship. And I'm going to dwell a little bit on this topic of fellowship. The third area is the breaking of bread and 
prayers. Well, we're going to have fast and prayer soon. But today, I'm going to focus on this whole aspect of fellowship and relating intimately. 1 Corinthians 1, 9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so if we are ones who are not able to connect intimately with people or with God, then we are not fulfilling the purpose of God in our lives. You may do a great ministry. You may achieve a lot of things. But if we cannot relate intimately with God and with our fellow men, with one another, then something has gone wrong and it will really hinder your spiritual growth. And um, so Adam and Eve, in fact, when they were created in the Garden of Eden, they walked in fellowship and intimacy with God in the Garden of Eden until sin came because of Eve's uh, disobedience and then Adam took that fruit as well because of their disobedience to God's command. Sin entered in and sin destroyed that relationship aspect. And that's why you, you see so much breakdown in relationship, in families, in uh, couples, in, in husband-wife relationship. You know, talking about husband-wife relationship. Um, I just uh, read a joke recently which uh, this um, lady, this wife asked the husband, said, uh, how would you describe me, uh, dear? You know, and he says, I describe you as A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, um, J. All right? Says, what does that mean? A, A to J, you know? And he says, simple. Um, you are A, adorable, beautiful, cute, uh, delightful. Uh, uh, you are fabulous. Uh, what F, G, you are gorgeous, right? And you are hot. <laughs> and then, what about I, J, K? Right? Um, H, I, J, K says, I, JK, I'm only joking. <laughs> not, not only joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> so, husbands, don't do that, all right? Because, you know, God has made us to have that connection and they don't want... Husbands, you know, we are very insensitive to, to women. And, and that's something broken within us. And that's because there's a push towards isolation and independence. We just uh, saw a TV program, um, a documentary called America's uh, Secret Books and, um, on Netflix. And, uh, and, and, and it was showing that uh, America was founded on uh, Freemasonry. Did you know that? That uh, the early founding fathers like George Washington, Benjamin Franklin and so on, uh, they were Freemasons. And um, so when they produced this um, uh, paper called the uh, Declaration of Independence, it was a great thing. And everybody, you know, 
rejoiced over it. And, and the, the whole of America is founded on this whole spirit of independence. That's what cowboys are about. They're, they have the independent spirit. They go to conquer the West. And so independence uh, has great virtues in, in that you pioneer things, you can do great things. But you know what? The spirit of independence fragments and destroys relationships and families. That's why you see in America right now, uh, although it's a strong, rich country, it's, it's deteriorating because families are fragmenting. Families are breaking up. Relationships are broken. Why? Because of, I believe, the independent spirit. There is that push because of sin, that pressure, that tendency towards isolation and independence. So sin resulted in guilt and isolation. So Adam and Eve hid themselves. What happened when sin entered into their heart? The glory of God disappeared from them. They were not naked. Although they were naked, they were clothed with the clothes, with the garment of glory. So they went around with, with garments. They were covered. They were covered by the glory of God. But the moment sin entered into their lives, that glory or honor, the word honor and glory are the same words in the Old Testament. Kabod, kavod, all right? And so the moment sin entered, that garment disappeared from them and they felt naked. And, and so they lost honor, they sensed the sense of honor. And that's why today people have low self-esteem. They, they have low self-honor of themselves. The sense of honor has disappeared from them. And so sin will push us to hide. That's the first thing that Adam and Eve did. When God came around, they hid themselves. And they covered themselves with fig leaves. Now fig leaves represent uh, not literally fig leaves nowadays, but we can hide ourselves with, uh, cover ourselves and, and, and not try to relate well by our um, careers and, and pursuit for, for success in careers, in our games, in our hobbies, in many, many things in our lives that uh, even food, <laughs> we, can, we can use all these things to cover ourselves as an excuse to relate well with one another. And so people, guys, you know, would spend all their time into their sports and games and all that and not, and not focus on relating well with their family. I was so thrilled just now to see Andrew and Yvette uh, share what they did, you know. So good to see that family thriving uh, in our midst in this household of faith. And um, Andrew and Yvette, they, they spoke so well, you know. Maybe Andrew can be a preacher, where are you, Andrew? Yeah. Oh, outside, if you're hearing this, you know, you, you, you must be trained to be a preacher. He, he spoke so well, and Yvette too. But uh, fellowship, on the other hand, so isolation uh, produces uh, brokenness in, in our lives. But fellowship promotes health. See, when the prisoners were isolated in... Um, in Port, uh, what is that? Port Arthur, 
what happened to them, they became broken. They were already broken, but they became even more broken to the point of mental deterioration. And some even died from it. Can you imagine that? So, but however, on the opposite, fellowship, being able to relate intimately, promotes health, isolation, uh, isolation increases vulnerability to spiritual attacks and mental disorder. And so it's very important for us because this is, that's why God said out of the four important things for Christians, one of them is fellowship. So let's begin to understand this whole aspect of fellowship and intimacy. But very few people I've uh, realized, especially men, <laughs> understand intimacy. Why is it that uh, people, particularly men, uh, are uh, weak in this area? I think uh, mostly of, most of that comes from poor modeling from fathers. You can be a great leader. I've seen great CEOs, great uh, entrepreneurs. They are very successful. Even the founder of World Vision uh, did, a, you know, he established a great work. And today, World Vision is a huge organization. But what happened to him? He, he was divorced. His wife left him and all the children hated him. Or he died a broken man. And you can be the world's greatest leader but the poorest of fathers. And looking at King David, nobody would dispute with me that King David was an excellent leader. He could turn 400 uh, um, nobodies, vagabonds, who came to him, who were in debt, distressed, and discontented. He turned them into 400 mighty men of David who could uh, slay lions and fight armies. But yet, he failed as a father. And often I ask people this question. Why was David such a great leader, but he couldn't lead his family? Why was he a poor father? And most people can't answer me, but the answer is because his own father was a poor father to him. When Samuel, Prophet Samuel came to his house to anoint the next king, uh, the father forgotten, had forgotten he had one son out in the field until Samuel had to remind him, do you have any more sons? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That rascal, you know, is out there in the field. He forgotten. So in other words, it's, it's, uh, um, it reflects the way Jesse, his own father, handled David. So David had, was never... Uh, Train or, or never, you know, model. There was no modeling to him uh, on fatherhood. And, and that's why for him, uh, he, although he was a great fighter, great leader, he, he became such a poor father. And as a result of poor fathering, his whole kingdom was destroyed. And so you may gain the whole world. You may gain a, a mass huge fortune. Right? Just like uh, Evelyn's granddad, he, he was such a rich man and had enough fortune that could last nine generations. Could you imagine that? And we wish that fortune lasted nine generations. Then, <laughs> then we would be beneficiaries of that. 
But uh, unfortunately, it didn't even last one generation because it was squandered away after he died, you know. And so, uh, so fa fathering is more important than anything else in this world. Because if we, uh, and, and this is a message to the men particularly, that if we don't know how to father, then you will not establish a legacy in your family. All right? Not just building wealth, but, but fathering. That's why in Malachi 4, it says that unless the hearts of the fathers are turned to the children and the children are turned back, in other words, there's a connection between the fathers and the children, the land will be cursed. And we see that lands are cursed because of poor fathering. Number two, we see that there's a great fallacy out there, a lie that say that macho men don't show their feelings. <laughs> macho men must be macho, you know, and, and uh, they, they must not cry, they must not express their feelings to tell their wife or their children, I love you and hug them and, and, and say sorry and things like that. That's, that's a fallacy. Number three reason why so few understand intimacy is because of brokenness in our lives. M many people come from traumatic pasts and unloved family, bad experiences with relationships. And as a result, they carry with them that brokenness. And I often say in my premarital counseling, uh, and I ask them, what is half times half? And they say, one quarter. What is one times one? It says, one. What has maths to do with marriage? And I say, if you are half a person, you are broken, you are half a person. If you marry someone who is half a person, your marriage will become one quarter. And it multiplies, right? One will put a thousand to ten thousand. So, if you are more broken, you are one quarter, you marry somebody who's one quarter, you have one sixteenth of a marriage. No wonder some marriages crack up soon after marriage because of the brokenness, undealt brokenness in their lives, the bad experiences of relationships, or you've been abused or traumatized in your childhood. These things need to be mended in order for you to establish good, healthy relationships uh, moving forward. And so, here's an opportunity after this service that we have our altar team, ministry team here, that if you feel that you, your childhood has been affected in one way or another, you've been abused, or you, not even sexually, but even physically or verbally, come, come forward to receive healing and ministry today. We are giving you the opportunity to do that. And the, the fourth reason why so few understand intimacy is because of self-centeredness. We live in a very self-centered world. There's even a song, I think, sung by Shannon or something, those called, What about me? You know, it isn't fair. What about you? You should be dead. We should carry our cross and follow Jesus. That's, that's the reason why we have so many problems. It's all about me, me, me. And, and kids brought up, especially in one-child 
families uh, have this issue. That's why I tell my daughter Priska, who has only one child, you better don't spoil him. Make sure you don't dote on him. You know, everything he wants, you give it to him. And recently he wanted a $150 backpack, you know. And, and we, the mom says, no, if you want that, you save money and buy it yourself, you know. And so it's a me, me uh, generation and me uh, society. And um, that you, you even have a me bank, correct? <laughs> I think better don't bank with them. No, no, that's just joking. Now, let's begin to have a look at the meaning of fellowship. Because fellowship is koinonia in, in Greek. And it's about the covenant relationship of the Godhead. That's what it is about. The word koinonia is actually a, a, a picture of the relationship between Jesus, the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Koinonia has its origin in the internal, eternal relatedness and communion of the Godhead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A participation of the communion of the living God Himself. And it is out of that communion between the Trinity, amongst the Trinity, that we are able to commune one with another. That's why during the time of communion, when we have communion once a month, it's a very significant and powerful time because that's when we become one with Jesus. We remember what He's done for us and with the Holy Spirit and the love the Father has for the Son and the Son has for the Father and the Holy Spirit. That, that love and fellowship comes out of the example that the Godhead gives to the world. But first of all, let's look at this aspect of righteousness. Because righteousness, this concept of righteousness is very much linked to koinonia, to fellowship. And I want to debunk some of the wrong ideas of righteousness. When we say, Roger, you are a righteous person, immediately what comes to mind is that he's a holy person, he doesn't do this, he doesn't do that, he obeys the rules, he follows the law. And that's like what uh, the Buddhists and Hindus think. Living uh, to, uh, The righteousness to a Buddhist or Hindus is about living according to codes of uh, the Dharma, good works, ascetism. For Muslims, it's about obeying Quran's teachings. Judaism is about fulfilling all the legal and moral laws. But what did Jesus teach when He came about righteousness? He's, he's coming with a revolutionary idea or concept about righteousness that will blow your minds, alright? He comes with a teaching of a different kind of of righteousness, the new covenant righteousness. In Matthew 5 20, he says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. If I were one of the disciples listening to him saying that, I would have thought, I'm gone. 
I, I, I'm a goner because I, I can't, you know, obey, be, be, be so circumspect. I, I'm, I'm, I can't beat these Pharisees, man. These Pharisees, at least on the outward, you know. Outwardly, they show that they comply with the law 100%. But Jesus said this because He was talking not of the same kind of righteousness that the Jews and the Pharisees were teaching about. He's bringing about a brand new concept of righteousness that people have not understood. So let's begin to see what is this different kind of righteousness that uh, he's talking about. He's talking about a new covenant righteousness that is based on relationship with God and man called the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God. See, see you fulfill the Ten Commandments by loving God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. So what's that based on? That's based on love, on relationship with God and man to fulfill all righteousness. So even if you are very holy, obey, don't smoke, don't do this, don't do all those sort of things and walk righteous, you know, follow the rules, fast and pray and tithe, uh, 50% and everything, you know. But if you have bad relationship with others or with God, then when God looks at you, He doesn't see righteousness. Do you know, having worked with pastors around the world for the last 15 years, let me tell you a secret. Many of the pastors are not righteous. Why? Because they hate other pastors. <laughs> they hate one another. They, there's no unity. Bishops are competing with other bishops. Is that righteousness? It's not. You see? So they are thinking that the bigger their church is, the, the, the more you know, righteous they look or the you know, the more anointed their sermons are, the more powerful their ministry is, the more righteous they are. They are not. And I'll, I'll, I'll prove that to you. It's a, so it's not even based, this righteousness, this new covenant righteousness, is not even based on grace. There's so much teaching on cheap grace nowadays. It's not based on grace, but on our relationship with the Father through Christ, the King of Righteousness in Hebrews 7, 2, who reconciled us to God through His death on the cross. So what does this right reconciliation mean? Reconciliation means we are restored in our relationship with God. It's all about relationship. And it's all about relational righteousness. That's why in Matthew 5, 23 to 24, it says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. Go your way. First be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. <laughs> so I'm telling the pastors, why even be a pastor if you can't even relate to your own family, first of all? Many of them have very bad relationship with their own spouses. They may be a bishop. You know, in our 
one of our retreats uh, in, in, in Kenya, uh, one of the bishop's wife came to us on the last day of our retreat and said, after this retreat, pastor, I'm going to divorce my husband. The husband is a big-time bishop, and he doesn't even know about it. So on the last day of our retreat, instead of doing foot washing between pastors and bishops, I turn it around. I say, today you're doing foot washing with your own spouse. And they broke down. They cried. Her, her, her husband apologized to the wife. He melted. And the relationship, the marriage was saved as a result of that. See, not only is his marriage safe, his church and denomination is also saved. Can you imagine if the top person there has a breakdown in relationship? It flows all the way down. It destroys the whole fellowship. And, and God says, you know, what use is there for you to come and worship me and do this, do that, when you can't even forgive and relate to your Brothers and sisters. You know, it's very easy to love God. Say, yes, Lord, I love you. I love you. It's easy to love God whom you can't see. But <laughs> it's so hard to love someone who is pricking you all the time. All right? Jabbing you all the time. And um, so we got to get it right. In Matthew 5, 25 to 26, Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into the prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of the prison until you have paid the last penny. <laughs> See, we will pay the last penny for broken relationships. It's a very serious thing. A very powerful, powerful thing. And if we can't get it right in this area, we will not get it right in any other aspect of our life. I don't care whether you earn a billion dollars a year. If you can't get relationships right, your life is a failure, honestly. This is what God shows. I'm, it's not coming from me. Don't throw stones at me, all right? It's the Word of God. And this verse is even more powerful in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Let's see what's the will of the Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Oh, I would love to do all these wonders, you know. But then... I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Depart from me. Wow, I'm doing wonders. I'm raising the dead. I'm prophesying. I'm healing the sick. Depart from him. Why? Because I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. He didn't know me. How? Oh. That's so sad, isn't it? It's all about relationship. Because without us having that right relationship, we don't have the righteousness, the new covenant righteousness of God. And 
So righteousness is through relationship because we see here in Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in favour with God and man. What's that? It's about relationship. Favour with God and with man. The, again, that's the two commandments. Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And as I've said earlier, it's easier to have a right relationship with God whom we can't see than with people around us. So let's look at this verse, very powerful verse in 1 John 1.7. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Let's look at it. If we walk, let's break this verse down a bit. It says, if we walk in the light. So koinonia intimacy requires us to walk in the light. What does this mean? It means that walking in the light, having this right relationship is an intentional thing that you have to put it into action. You have the right mindset in having a right relationship. It's intentional. It's not, it's not going to happen overnight. So when you have children, especially young children, and you just go and work and come back and, and watch TV and relax and, 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 and leave it to your wife to take care of the kids and you provide for the family, it's not going to happen by itself. It has to be intentional. You've got to set aside time to build that relationship. You've got to put it into action. You've got to have an action plan. You've got to put effort into that. That's what walking is about. You cannot say, hey, legs walk, and you just stand there. It doesn't walk. You've got to walk, put effort into that. The second thing about walking is, got, is that you've got to look out for the path. You, you can't just simply walk blindly. You walk into a ditch. And that's what a lot of families have done. They've walked into a ditch because they have not understood how to walk properly. All right? The third thing is there has to be consistency. Walking, there is consistent. You're walking with Jesus. It's consistency, not walking for three days and then you stop. Right? You're constantly walking. You are constantly building that relationship with your family members, with your friends. Number two, in the light. It means if we walk in the light, means we have clarity of vision and understanding. You've got to understand what building relationship is about that. And if you have an issue, a problem of striking up relationships, then you've got to seek people out to help you, to see clearly where have you gone wrong. Be teachable, be humble, and admit that something is wrong with you. Don't always point the finger at others and have three, four fingers pointing back at you, all right? There's something broken inside of us that needs fixing. There must be clarity of vision and understanding, openness and sincerity of heart. And we've got to renounce our openness and sincerity of heart is important. We've got to speak truth. We've got to be open. We've got to face reality. There are lots of people I find 
that in relationship, especially in business relationships, there is no sincerity. <laughs> People come with their own secret agenda. And that's where, when the secret agenda comes out, then that's trouble. And um, we've seen so many partnerships break down. And um, we've got to renounce darkness. We've got to renounce lies and deception. So many marriages have broken down because of deception and lies that people keep within their heart. I've got no time to go into the details of that. As He is in the light, as we, you know, as if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, meaning Jesus is the standard. Stop comparing your husband with Roger Xiao, all right? Or Chris Ong. Or... Because Jesus is the standard. He is in the light. And, and, you know, and light means love. Because in 1 John 2.10, it says, He who loves abides in the light. Many of Jesus' teachings are on how we love one another, relate to each other. That uh, if we don't have love, if we don't have love in our walk, in our relationship with people, then we've got to search our hearts and start all over again. Because often we strike up relationship, we take people, you know, Roger, when you first came, uh, when I took you out uh, to look for properties and all that, if I did it with ulterior motive, maybe I did have some, but <laughs> if, it, if it was not out of love, he will sense it, all right? He will sense that this guy, a cunning guy, you know, he, he has ulterior motive and, and all of that. But when we deal with one another, let's make sure that our motives is not for yourself. Many a times we make friendship is for our own self. But we make friendship because we want to bless others. We want what's good for them. And so keys to relationship, confess your sins or your trespasses one to another. Pray for one another that you might be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. See, the prayer, effective fervent prayer is linked to confessing your sins, getting right in your relationship with those that you have an issue with. It's all linked. You will notice that. For us to be effective for God, to be fruitful, to be heard by God, we've got to do the right thing in terms of relationship. And finally, in closing, I want to bring up an example in the Bible of a relationship that many jokes have been uh, uh, developed over the years on, and that, that is on the mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship. That's the hardest, <laughs> I think, of all relationships in the world, the hardest relationship that people have made huge, you know, lots of jokes about is the mother-in-law and daughter-in-law relationship. Because when they two live together, like, We've had, you know, my wife has been so gracious in living with my mom. She had no choice. I kind of arm-twisted her. <laughs> to live with my mother for 20 long years, right? And 
Was it a bed of roses? She says, yes, with lots of thorns. And honestly, you know, biblically, we, we, we shouldn't be in under the same roof or same kitchen especially, all right? They, they, they should have their own quarters, as it were, because it's, it's very hard. Somehow, um, father-in-law and son-in-law, not so tough, maybe. But the, and, and, and I think God purposely put this story of Naomi and Ruth in the Bible to show how an impossible relationship can even become good. That here's the son who is dead. Most daughter-in-laws will say, goodbye, mother-in-law. Thank God, you know, I'm now free from my mother-in-law, you know. There's a movie called Monster-in-Law, something like that. Mon you know, mother-in-law is, is, is a mon seen as a monster. But in this story of Naomi and Ruth, and I have no time to go into that, where uh, the other daughter-in-law gladly left, but um, what's the other daughter-in-law's name? Oprah or something, right? Uh, Oprah or something. Yeah, and... Um, but Naomi, uh, I, I think she has a quality in her that depicts Christ. And she sees that here's my mother-in-law, even though my husband is gone, I love her. And I'm willing to do anything to bless her, to help her through her sufferings and misery. And she forget, forgot about herself. She abandoned her, her, the me in, in her. And she says, my life is now your life. And, and she just poured out herself to the mother-in-law. And consequently, and this is what she said, <clears throat> Ruth 1.16, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Even the mother-in-law discouraged her and said, hey, you go back to your own people. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your, people's, uh, your people shall be my people and your God, my God. That's the kind of sacrificial love that Ruth had for her mother-in-law. And I tell you that Naomi was no easy person to live with because they call her, when she went back to Israel, what, Mara or something, meaning bitter woman. Have you ever lived with a bitter woman who is griping all the time, who is bitter, despite being difficult? Ruth, the daughter-in-law, overcame all that, clung on to her, and as a result, she was so greatly blessed with a wonderful husband, better than Roger even, you know? And, uh, and, and a husband... Through her, produced the line of Jesus. The messianic line came from her. Why? Because it is born out of love. Born of sacrificial love. Born out of a life that was crucified and died to self and say, I'm here for you. I'm here to see you through, to bless you. 
Isn't that wonderful? And I think that if we can relate intimately with one another, first with God, make sure that our relationship is right with God today. And secondly, make sure that we relate well with one another within the church, amongst the leaders. A lot of churches split, not because of doctrines, but because of conflict, unfortunately. In fact, one church in Perth that I won't name has decimated. They've closed the church down because of conflict. I tried to help them. They didn't want my help. And so, as a result, it's decimated. Can I ask the altar ministry people to, to come forward, please? The altar ministry team, if you can... Um, Come and show your presence here. Because I want to end in giving this opportunity for hearts to be healed, for relationship. Once hearts heal, relationships will be healed as, as well. And without hearts being healed, relationships cannot be healed. It's very hard. And so today as I close, let me, the altar ministry, can, can you come forward, please? Thank you. Please be obedient. Hurry up, hurry up. All right. And, uh, and elders and, and pastors, you're welcome to, to join us as well. And um, I just want to give this opportunity just to think about, to meditate on what's been shared today concerning being intimate relationally, being right in terms of our relationship with God and with man. Let me just close in prayer now and then you can come forward um, for personal ministry. Let's come before the Lord together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have established a new form of righteousness. A righteousness that's not based on obeying the law. Not even based on grace, but on establishing a right relationship with you and with one another. Today, Lord, if we have things still in our heart, that are still not sorted out. I pray that you will come in and empty up the, out the closet. Come in. We open the door for you to come in to sup with us and to show us those areas that are broken in our lives, that need mending, that need healing. I thank you, Lord, that you love us so much to leave us alone. Today, you are hounding us with your love. You're hounding us because you want us whole. You want us to make it right in this life and internally. Our lives here are so short and it's not worth us harboring things that are painful in this life. We want to live this life for you, Lord and to be able to make an impact 
on future generations and other people's lives. Come heal us today, Heavenly Father. I thank you for modeling to us what true koinonia, true fellowship is about. Through your love for your son and your son for you and for the Holy Spirit. Three in one, loving each other. Thank you, Lord, that today you can come and make that real for us. That we will continue in the Apostles' Doctrine, in fellowship, in prayer and communion. Thank you, Father. Heal your people today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please, the service is now over. God bless you for coming. But can I invite people to come forward? Come and be healed. There's no shame in that. Come and receive memory cleansing from past memories that are painful and traumatic. Come and receive ministry through this wonderful team that we have up here. We have Pastor Chris Ong. He's just come back as well. You can come and receive prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah.